Salutations, listeners. You're listening to another episode of the Dr. Jazz Podcast. And I'm your host, Nathan Holloway, your doctor for jazz. And it is our mission here at the Dr. Jazz Podcast to cure whatever it is that ails you through the power and the majesty of jazz music. In this episode, we are going to be spotlighting jazz with strings. So, I actually got this idea uh, reading some of the these great, uh, like, best of, you know, like Jazz Times 10 best, you know, jazz with string albums. And it, and it made me start thinking, like, yeah, those are some good ones, but they're missing some really important ones, at least with my taste. Now, I've included some of them that I agree with, you know, everything's subjective, right, especially in the arts, but what I've done for you is I've picked 21 of the top tracks that are Dr. Jazz, my my personal favorites, that hopefully you'll dig too. Some of them feature saxophones with strings, other features trumpet with strings, but then there's also quite a number of interesting combination of instrumentalists with strings. So, with that being said, welcome to the Jazz with Strings episode. So, um, thank you for listening. Remember, you can find the Dr. Jazz podcast wherever you find your podcast, whether that's Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, etc. And make sure you share the Dr. Jazz podcast with all your friends who may be jazz listeners or just listeners who you think would dig this. Uh, We love any support whatsoever. And don't forget, you can check out the website, Dr. Jazz Podcast, D-R-J-A-Z-Z Podcast.wordpress.com for every episode information with album art and track listing so you know what you can order or go to your record store and get. Lastly, you can follow the Dr. Jazz Podcast on Twitter with the handle at NDHJazz. So without further ado, let's get to this episode of Jazz with Strings. Thank you. 
Gorgeous music. Yeah, man. So that was the standard. And you're going to hear a lot of standards in this episode, by the way, uh, just because they uh, lay so nicely on top of the, the bed of string accompaniment that you hear with these instrumentalists. Uh, but that was the classic standard, You Go to My Head, um, by the great, late Roy Hargrove. And it sounded like he was uh, on the flugelhorn there just because it had a little bit more of a mellow sonority to it than the trumpet. Although his trumpet playing is impeccable as well on this album. Um, This is the album Moment to Moment, which is Roy Hargrove with strings. It's a more modern jazz with strings album, uh, but an important one. And uh, Roy plays so impeccably tastefully all th- just is everything is tasteful on this album it, it's incredible um 
And the sad part is that we're not going to get another album like this from Roy Hargrove. So we really have to celebrate um, these instances, you know, that we have with Roy Hargrove uh, that he did record. So you go to my head by Roy Hargrove with strings. Um, before that, we heard "I'm Alone with You," and that actually comes from the album "Jamal at the Penthouse," and that featured none other than the great pianist Ahmad Jamal, who is a living legend. Um, and the whole album is Ahmad Jamal with his group uh, and a string orchestra. And the orchestra was arranged and conducted by Joe Kennedy. Um, not to be confused with the, with the <laughs> politician Joe Kennedy III or his, you know, I think grandfather um, or great-grandfather, Joe Kennedy. Um, but I guess it would be his grandfather. But, um, yeah, I mean, it, this is just the arranger Joe Kennedy. But this is um, a beautiful album, and it's got such a great, swagger to that song I'm alone with you you know and um, again Im impeccable taste by Ahmad Jamal with strings on this album and, and rather than it being like just this sappy syrupy lush laden just you know bed of chords with strings and then Ahmad Jamal's playing on top no they're part of the whole rhythmic density to the piece as well which is super cool and, um, you know, I don't, I don't expect less from Ahmad Jamal. He is like the king of tastefulness. So there you go. He's superb in that area. And then we started off the set with the great Coleman Hawkins from the album The Hawk and Hi-Fi, uh, which is increasingly becoming harder and harder to find um, on Verve. Uh, I'm sorry, on Bluebird reissue albums. And um, we heard the track that's forever associated with the Hawk himself, Body and Soul. And um, that's a really great um, album there. And it's uh, with Billy Byers and his orchestra. And uh, for those of you who are in the know, Billy Byers is the one who... Um, arranged that incredible killing version of All of Me for the Count Basie Orchestra that uh, Basie played, what is it, live in Japan, 78, I want to say. Black cover with red um, outline of Basie, you know, painted on there. Uh, Billy Byers, man, very, very tasteful arranger and, and band leader. And um, when you have, you know... It, these two, Hawk and Billy Byers together, man, it's gorgeous. It's, yeah, it's just so great. So, um, yeah, once again, that's from the Hawk and Hi-Fi. So don't worry about writing all these down. Um, we've already done all that work for you. Just go to the website, Dr. Jazz Podcast, D-R-J-A-Z-Z -Z Podcast, no spaces, dot wordpress.com, and you can find all the track info in order, and below that the appropriate album art for all of these great, great tracks. So, uh, as always, we'd love to hear feedback. If you like this episode, you know, or past episodes, uh, let us know. And if you didn't like them, let us know that. Or if we could have improved it in a different direction, always up for, you know, hearing great 
constructive feedback like that. But regardless, if you're just digging the tunes and just say, hey man, just listen to your podcast and I dug it, we'd love to hear that too. You know, it's always great to let us know that, you know, there's some cats listening out there. So we got another great set for you coming up and we're going to start with the drum aficionado himself, Mr. Max Roach. Don't go anywhere. You are listening to the Dr. Jazz Podcast. Thank you. 
gorgeous man yeah so that last tune was by the great art pepper and it's a tune called our song which he wrote for his wife Lori pepper um who is done incredible who she's done incredible things uh for art pepper's legacy and god bless her for it because um she's found and released many of his like live uh recordings near the the end of his career uh she's written a book about art and in fact she and art both were part of the documentary notes from a jazz survivor by art pepper um yeah i mean she's spunky full of life got tons of energy which is great because <laughs> she needed that to deal with art um yeah and it's just great to see their romance you know and yeah definitely um and but back to this it's one of the most gorgeous songs most gorgeous songs that i've i, I was one of my first encounters with jazz musician and strings and I, of course you know I, i've said it many times in previous podcasts um i'm an alto sax player so of course i gravitate toward the saxophonists um but art pepper man he's just yeah he was one of the first ones i really gravitated to and um it's just he wrote that you know this is it was an original of his so and it's incredible uh recorded in 1980 released in 1981 uh, on the album Winter Moon. Um, yeah, some some killer tracks on that. But that, that is one of my favorites, even before I knew the backstory uh, and, and saw the documentary on art. So, uh, yeah, man. I mean, Art Pepper is just one of those guys that really does not get enough attention. And um, he, he's, he's really his own individual. I mean, there's definitely a bebop vocabulary there. But... Um, incredible music all throughout. Uh, before that, we heard Clifford Brown. You talk about incredible musicians, man. We heard the David uh, Raxon tune, Laura. And um, that was from Clifford Brown with Strings. And that was from 1955. Uh, so... You know, Clifford Brown is one of those tragic stories in the history of jazz that, you know, he was killed in a car wreck and was taken from the jazz world way too soon. So the fact that, you know, we have some of these great recordings of Clifford with Max Roach and uh, with Sonny Rollins is, is, and Art Blakey is incredible. But the fact that they they put him into the studio with a, a string orchestra to record a bunch of these standards uh, like what's new and yesterday's and you know stuff like that. It, it, it's just incredible. It's lush. It's beautiful, you know. And Clifford just, man, he just floats on top of them, which is it's great. It's one of the quintessential uh, albums that a lot of jazz players will tell you, like, oh, you want to listen to a jazz album with strings? Yeah, Clifford Brown with strings, you know. And it's just that. Uh, but Laura is just one of those beautiful, beautiful melodies, anyway. Uh, no matter who does it, whether it's Woody Herman or Stan Getz, you know what I mean? But uh, Clifford Brown with strings doing Laura, man. It's just, it is. 
just pure gorgeous. And then we started off the set with a little bit uh, something different. It was from a Max Roach album entitled um, The Easy Winners, right? Which is the track that we heard. It was the Max Roach Double Quartet, an album called Easy Winners. And um, it featured uh, a string quartet playing the Easy Winners rack, you know, uh, that was written by Scott Joplin. Now, it was written by Scott Joplin in 1901, right? And it, just to kind of clear up any obscurity or questions, you know, the Easy Winners is <laughs> basically, it, it refers to a sporting event um, that whatever, you know, team won or, you know, athlete won without any difficulty whatsoever. And in fact, the the cover of it actually features um, four circles, one featuring baseball, one featuring football, one featuring horse racing, and the fourth featuring sailing. Um, it's interesting because it has uh, an AABBA trio intro CC DD uh, form. And um, yeah, it's, it's, it's super interesting. The intro is like an A flat major. The trio is in D flat major, you know, so super cool stuff. But what's really interesting is that here's Max Roach and he's done so many things. As I said before, played with Clifford Brown, you know, had uh, a group with Clifford Brown had Sonny Rollins in his group. He's played with Miles Davis. Uh, he's one in the he, he's one of the fathers of bebop, you know, playing with Charlie Parker and Dizzy Gillespie and stuff. Um, he he was part of the the Freedom Now, you know, uh, sweet record that he did with Coleman Hawkins and Ola Tunji and Abby Lincoln, um, who he was married to. Uh, it's just. He, he has done so much and yet here is one of his albums from like the late 70s 80s and it, it, it he says you know what I, I, I want to do a Scott Joplin rag but I want to do it for string quartet that's just incredible to me you know and that's reaching all the way back and I don't know I think that's something special and uh, it's something historical and there's it's definitively jazz, in my opinion. Now, I know there's purists who's like, well, that's ragtime, and ragtime isn't quite jazz. But look, you know what I'm saying? Ragtime and blues, they're all in that same family tree of jazz. You know what I'm saying? So, there you go. Um, I, I have, a, I guess, a bigger umbrella than a lot of purists do, but I digress. I still think it's uh, worth it when you have, a, you know, a character like Max Roach who has provided so much for jazz and he's included a ragtime piece for string quartet that I'm going to include it. So there you go. Um, and this, this piece doesn't make it on a lot of the, the jazz with strings, you know, uh, lists, but I think it's duly important. So there you go. That's why it's on the podcast and hopefully you dug it. And you know what? That's what we need. We need more string quartets playing Scott Joplin rags. That's what I think. Man, I'd listen to a whole album of that stuff. So, all right, enough talking for me. Let's get back to some more great music. You are listening to the Jazz with String Spotlight here on the Dr. Jazz Podcast. <laughs> ¶¶ 
Vellum. Yes. So that last piece, even though it's a little bit of an extended piece, is a composition entitled Harlem by the great Duke Ellington. And that featured uh, the, what is it, Eric Kunzel, who is conducting the Cincinnati Symphony Orchestra from 1970 on the DECA label, uh, entitled Duke Ellington Orchestral Works. So, yeah, super cool. Uh, you know, some reviewers have said it's interesting, but it's not essential Ellington. Well, yeah, and Ellington's orchestra was not there, his own band. Uh, but, uh, you know, I'm of the mind that it should not take away from the merit of Ellington writing the symphonic piece. So, you know, this orchestral work, if you will off the album Orchestral Works. So Harlem, which uh, no doubt means a great deal to Duke Ellington, seeing that the Cotton Club is in Harlem, and the Cotton Club is where Duke Ellington got his quote-unquote musical launch launching pad, you know, <clears throat> that uh, elevated Ellington to uh, a household name with broadcasts from the Cotton Club in Harlem. Now, before that, we heard a track called Her, H-E-R, and that was by the great Stan Getz on his album Focus from 1961 on the Verve label. It is an album that featured Stan Getz on uh, the saxophone with a string orchestra, but the entire album is actual... Uh, in all actuality, as a, as a whole suite that was commissioned by Stan Getz uh, to Eddie Souter. And Eddie Souter was a, a great uh, composer and arranger. And Eddie Souter, um, from like Souter and Finnegan fame, Eddie Souter was the one who was, um, he composed all the music, he arranged all the music, and it was conducted by Hershey Kay. Now, what's interesting to note is that everything is not through composed. Um, everything is not specifically written out. There were plenty of sections in which uh, he left basically room for Stan Getz to solo uh, in the spaces, you know, in order for Getz to improvise along with the, you know, the orchestra that was you know, uh, arranged by Eddie Sauter. So uh, they would work again together on the soundtrack to Mickey One, but this was um, actually regarded by Stan Getz as one of his favorite albums, if not the favorite, out of his entire catalog. So think about that just for a second. Stan Getz, what's your favorite album in all of your recorded catalog? It wasn't Getz Gilberto. It wasn't the... Um, Samba Encore with Louis Bonfa. It wasn't the album with Oscar Peterson. It wasn't the the collaboration with J.J. Johnson or Lionel Hampton. It wasn't his work with Woody Herman and the Four Brothers, you know, that, that sound. No, it was this, Focus, with music written by Eddie Sauter. Keep that in mind. That's pretty interesting and totally worth you checking out the entire album if you haven't yet. Also worth noting, uh, Steve Kuhn 
is on the piano and Roy Haynes is on the drums. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool stuff. And then we started off that entire set with The Very Thought of You, which is another uh, gorgeous standard. This time it comes from the 1952-1953 album Dizzy Gillespie and His Operatic Strings Orchestra. Uh, it's part of the Jazz in Paris series on Gitanes or Gitanes uh, label. And there's a lot of great gems, by the way, in the Jazz in Paris series if you haven't checked it out. And I know that the covers can all kind of blend together with like little, you know, photographs. And they're just like two colored squares, you know, on, on the on the cover, like one in green dark green and one in light green. And it just says like these jazz artists' name and it's easy to get them confused. But there's a lot of great stuff out there. Um, Earl Hines is another one that's really, really good. So but this one is very, very interesting in that it's Dizzy Gillespie with strings, essentially. But he calls it his operatic strings orchestra. And like I said, we got to hear the standard, the very thought of you, uh, with Diz on the trumpet and the beautiful string orchestra. So, and there's a lot of other great tunes in this album as well, like Stormy Weather, uh, The Man I Love, My Old Flame, Night and Day, I've Got You Under My Skin, I Don't Stand a Ghost of a Chance. So, lots of great songs in this album. Highly, highly recommend it. Uh, it's not your typical Dizzy Gillespie in that it's not so bebop laden and it's not uh, like in the small groups that he did with Charlie Parker and it's not the uh, Afro-Cuban big band flavor that you hear in some of Dizzy's other things so it, it's a different side to Diz and you know for that uh, you should check it out just for the versatility you know uh, of Dizzy Gillespie so lots of great music coming at you we got much more coming your way Got some Brubeck to start out this next set. So here is Dave Brubeck with Dialogues for Jazz Combo and Orchestra, Allegro Blues. Don't go anywhere. You are listening to the Dr. Jazz Podcast.
I dim all the lights And I sink in my chair The smoke from my cigarette Climbs through the air The walls of my room fade away In the blue And I'm deep in a dream Smoke builds a stairway for you to descend. You come to my arms. May this bliss never end. Awake or asleep, every memory I keep when I'm deep in a dream. Soft music comes stealing We glide in a lover's refrain You're so appealing That I'm soon My hand isn't hurt, but there's pain in my heart. But we'll love anew just as we used to do when I'm deep in a dream of My hand isn't hurt, but there's pain in my heart. But we'll love just as we used to do when I'm deep in a
the great Chet Baker on the trumpet from his album Chet Baker with 50 Italian strings recorded in 1959 and released in 1960. We heard Deep in a Dream written by Eddie DeLang and Jimmy Van Heusen. Killer, killer, killer stuff. Uh, of course, that's also not only Chet Baker on the trumpet, but Chet Baker on the vocals. You know, uh, there's some people that don't realize that Chet Baker was also a vocalist uh, with a very soft tone, just like his trumpet playing. Very cool. Lynn Mercer was the arranger and the conductor of all 50 strings. Um, <clears throat> yeah, so a sad story about this album, actually. All Music, uh, if you trust allmusic.com, all Music gave this album one and a half stars. And it stated that fans will want this set, but due to the mundane string arrangements and the lack of variety, more general collectors should acquire his earlier jazz-oriented dates first. Well, <clears throat> I have a couple of issues with that. One, there is no such thing as a jazz police, so <laughs> doesn't exist. So no one gets to pass judgment of what is jazz and what is not jazz. Secondly, Chet Baker should not receive anything below three stars ever because he is a highly lyrical soloist that is definitively um, improvisationally based whenever he takes a solo, whether it's through scat singing with his vocals or with his trumpet. So that's my take on that. Uh, one and a half stars is a slap in the face. It's kind of like when Weather Report received like the, the one star review from Downbeat Magazine for the album Mr. Gone. And I don't know if any of you have ever heard that album, but definitely not worth one stars or one star. So it's, it's a very cool album. But back to Chet Baker. Um... There were many string and albums with jazz musicians at this time. What amazes me is that Clifford Brown had that string album that we heard in the other set in 1955. And four mere years later, Chet Baker comes out with a jazz trumpet with strings album. And it's not on anybody's list. It's just like, oh yeah, it's mundane. I wouldn't say it's mundane. Um, this Italian string section, the 50 Italian strings, sound quite beautiful. And it doesn't have to have that, you know, kind of thing behind it to be quote-unquote jazz. So, shame on all music for that. Um, everybody's entitled to make a, a, a lush, gorgeous album if they want to. And, in fact, it's... You know, it, it's a quite a lovely album. There's a lot of great standards on this album. I Should Care, uh, The Song Is You, Goodbye, Angel Eyes, Forgetful, which is actually one of the tunes that's featured with Deep in a Dream that we just heard um, in the Chet Baker documentary, Let's Get Lost. Uh, but Violets for Your Furs, When I Fall in Love, Autumn in New York, The Street of Dreams. I mean, these are, these are classic songs. And... Um, yeah, I mean, you know, Lynn Mercer did a great arrangement 
for a bunch of these, and I say it's worth a listen. You know what I mean? Like I said, there is no uh, jazz police. So, yeah, it's on the Jazzland label, and um, I don't know. I think it's pretty good. Before that, we heard from guitar jazz guitar giant West Montgomery, and we heard um, Bumpin' on Sunset from Wes's album Tequila on the Verve label, produced by Creed Taylor, uh, recorded and released in 1966. And the string section was arranged by none other than Klaus Ogerman. Um, yeah, and, and the track that we heard bumping on Sunset is actually a West Montgomery original composition. Uh, Joseph Woodward, Woodard, uh, who's a jazz writer, said that the album was uh, an airy, melodious record with a standout track being the gently brooding West Montgomery original Bumpin' on Sunset, which features him playing double octaves, the same note played in three octaves. Yeah, which is true. Um, that's something that Wes was known for. And um, it's it's gorgeous. And the, the backing jazz quartet behind Wes Montgomery is killer. There's Grady Tate on the drums, Ron Carter on the bass, and Ray Barreto on the uh, percussion, you know, to uh, lend way to add a little bit more jazz flavor to Klaus Ogerman's string section that he arranged. Um, it's mainly a Latin-based kind of album, which is cool, hence tequila. And uh, it it's a great version, a jazz version of tequila on top of that. And it's got great uh, little highlights in there besides just um, tequila. And bumping on sunset. We all there's also in that album what the world needs now is love, sweet love, the Burt Bacharach tune. Uh, How insensitive, the Bossa Nova classic, uh, Midnight Mood, which is a rarely recorded piece, uh, usually associated with the pianist Bill Evans, but Wes Montgomery uh, takes it on here, and it's just a it's again it's a lovely album, you know. Uh, uh, not saying that it's like earthquake shattering, you know, like stop the presses kind of album, but it's a tasteful album. You know, uh, there's something to be said for uh, having reservation and, and, you know, a prudence for an album. So, and this is one of those albums. So, highly recommend it. And then we started off the set with the great Dave Brubeck. That's right, the Dave Brubeck Quartet, along with the New York Philharmonic, conducted by none other than Leonard Bernstein. Yes. They collaborated on an album together, uh, recorded in 1960 and released in 1961 on the Columbia label, entitled Bernstein Plays Brubeck Plays Bernstein. And... Um, there is like this kind of interplay between the both of them. Uh, <clears throat> it's a studio album by the Dave Brubeck Quartet, and the title refers to the fact that it consists of both a Brubeck composition conducted by Leonard Bernstein, um, even though the Brubeck is not Dave Brubeck, it's actually his brother Howard, and Bernstein compositions 
played by the Dave Brubeck Quartet. Uh, the title is also an echo of Dave Brubeck's 1956 solo debut, Brubeck Plays Brubeck. So, um, the dialogue for Jazz Combo and Orchestra, which we heard movement for the last movement, which is a really cool movement, which is um, the Allegro Blues, was Dave's brother Howard's piece, and it was played uh, by Leonard Bernstein of the New York Philharmonic. So that's what's really cool. It's um, this kind of gets lost in the uh, the category of third stream jazz, which is uh, orchestras and jazz and like classical tendencies with jazz and things like that. Um, but it it's worth noting, you know. I, I still think it's a really cool album. And it's um, it's not something that's usual. So, and of course, you know, Bernstein was a huge jazz fan, and most jazz fans were huge Bernstein fans. So the love was mutual. And um, yeah, I just thought that this would be an interesting um, conversation piece. So there you go. Now, on to more music. Enough talking from me. Uh, we've got three good ones actually. Um, yeah, we've got uh, two trumpet players in this mix, but coming from two completely different sides of the coin. So uh, without further ado, let's get to some more music.
Tell you what, it is hard to beat Hoagie Carmichael's Stardust in whatever capacity and from whatever album. So there you go. That was Stardust uh, by Wynton Marsalis off of his 1984 album Hot House Flowers on the Columbia label. <clears throat> which actually won Wynton a Grammy for Best Jazz Instrumental Performance as a soloist in 1985. Yeah. Uh, it reached number one on the top jazz albums chart. <clears throat> uh, of course, it featured Wynton on the trumpet with a gorgeous string section uh, arranged and orchestrated and conducted all by Bob Friedman. Um... 
Jeff Tane Watts was on the drums. The great Ron Carter again on the bass. Kenny Kirkland. Man, Kenny Kirkland, right? On the piano. Tony Price on the tuba. Peter Gordon on the French horn. Andrew Schwartz on the bassoon. Paul McCandless on the oboe and English horn. And if that name sounds familiar, it should if you're a fan of the group Oregon with Ralph Towner so, and Colin Walcott. Uh, Kent Jordan on the alto flute and none other than Branford Marsalis on soprano and tenor saxophone all on this album. And it's a fantastic album. Uh, it's got some standards for All We Know, Django by John Lewis, uh, When You Wish Upon a Star, I'm Confessing That I Love You. But then it also has songs uh, that are a little bit more obscure, like Melancholia by the great Duke Ellington. And from my records, which I could be wrong, so I'm not going to stand you know, 110% on it, I only remember Duke Ellington recording Melancholia on his Capitol Piano Reflections album, and it was a solo piano piece. So we all know Winton's love for Duke Ellington, and it's great to hear that tune in this kind of format, you know, with uh, the string orchestra, and it's really beautiful. But, uh, and that's, in fact, to be uh, full disclosure to give to you, uh, that's the track that I was going to pick. And then I heard Stardust, and I'm just like, man. Stardust is just so gorgeous. It's such a gorgeous, gorgeous, gorgeous song that how could you not love Stardust? So, yeah, maybe you would have preferred Melancholia, but Stardust is just as gorgeous. So hopefully you dug that. Before that, we heard a very, very deep, deep work by the trumpet great Terrence Blanchard, also of New Orleans. We heard Levies, and Levies comes from the 2007 album A Tale of God's Will, a requiem for Katrina, and no doubt we're going to be we're talking about Hurricane Katrina here, and um, this is on the Blue Note Records label, 2007. Uh, it's dealing with the agony, the aftermath, the heartache of hurricane katrina and um you know terrence blanchard's own mother because he is from new orleans lost her her home um in pontchartrain park from hurricane katrina but she survived um yeah it's just man and and, and you and terrence blanchard was not only taking all this in as he wrote this music, but he was also affected by Hurricane Betsy in, from 1965 that uh, flooded his home in the Lower Ninth Ward um, in New Orleans. So, you know, there's a lot of emotion, memories, and experiences that he drew upon with this. Um, and he initially was was writing this for Spike Lee's documentary for HBO when the levees broke but um a lot went into this and and you can tell and the whole album is really a genius album and I don't I try not to use that word too loosely but 
this album really is. It's really a genius album from the composition aspect to the orchestration. Um, the feeling, the emotion in this album is, is incredible. Um, yeah. So Howard uh, Drosen did a lot of the orchestrations, but so did Terrence Blanchard and Aaron Parks. So uh just going to give you a rundown. Uh, Zach Harmon is on tabla and Happy Apple. Kendrick Scott, the great drummer, uh, is playing drums and percussion. And he orchestrates some things on this as well. Aaron Parks on piano orchestration. And uh, Derek Hodge on the double bass, bass guitar. Bryce Winston on tenor and soprano saxophone. And, of course, Terrence Blanchard on the trumpet the orchestration. He was also the producer, the uh, the composer for many of the pieces, and um, he's also the conductor. So, yeah, and uh, there's a piece by Aaron Parks on on the album. There's a piece by Bryce Winston, a piece by Kendrick Scott, and uh, a piece by Derek Hodge, all on the album. But most of the rest, all the rest, is from Terrence Blanchard and. Um, Hopefully you felt some of that emotion in, in that track, Levy's. You know, it's a deep, deep, deep track. So, yeah, man. Cool stuff. Cool stuff for sure. Mm, mm, mm. God bless Terrence Blanchard. Uh, and then we opened up the set with the great Harry Carney. Harry Carney, as Duke Ellington would say. Uh, of course, Harry Carney is most famously known... Um, as the baritone saxophonist with the Duke Ellington Orchestra. Uh, but he did have a few uh, outings on his own and as a sideman. But um, this one was for the Clef label from 1954. And it was the album Harry Carney with Strings. So, you know... Uh, this is another one that does not really get a lot of attention, and it should, because Harry Carney is one of the most gifted melodic soloists in all of jazz. And then sadly, he kind of gets overlooked. You know, he just gets swept under the rug, you know, as, the, oh, he's just a member of the Duke Ellington Orchestra. But there's so much more to Harry Carney than that, and um, I'm here to preach that message. So um, he played clarinet, bass clarinet, Barry sax. He could circular breathe. Oh, my God. Just whew, so many good things. So many good things. Um, yeah. And, you know, God, beautiful, beautiful music. And we heard the Duke Ellington classic on that album. I got it bad, and that ain't good. And, uh, yeah, and, and in fact, there is a, a great other track, and I was kind of tossing and turning between the two of them. Um, I Don't Stand a Ghost of a Chance with You, and it features this gorgeous um, bass clarinet feature with Harry Carney on bass clarinet with the string, you know, uh, background. And I said, uh, that is gorgeous, but I've got to put something with a Barry sax because there's probably people who don't even know about Bar Harry Carney and, and the Barry Sachs 
you know, sound that he has. And it's, it's like I said, unmistakable. And um, I would I would go as far as to say that Harry Carney is probably a huge influence on Jerry Mulligan and his baritone sax sound, you know. So there you go. And this is a guy that truly, truly, truly loved Duke Ellington. Let me say that as well. Um, because, you know, Duke Ellington passed away in 1974. And um, after his passing, Harry Carney said, Without Duke, I have nothing to live for. So um, he continued to play uh, under Duke Ellington's son, Mercer Ellington, uh, leading the band. And he, in fact, he was on the album Continuum. Uh, but a mere four months after Duke Ellington's death, Harry Carney also passed away on October 8, 1974, in New York. So, yeah. I mean, talk about somebody who just loved, loved working for the Duke and loved Duke Ellington, Harry Carney. And um, hopefully this will uh, spawn you to go check out some more beautiful Harry Carney solos with Duke Ellington and on his own. So there you have it. Um, remember, hopefully you're digging this podcast. Like I said, we are spotlighting jazz with strings on this episode of the Dr. Jazz Podcast. And remember, you can find this podcast wherever you find your podcast: Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, etc. Uh, please tell your friends, you know, shoot them a link um, or just anybody who you think would be interested in any one of these episodes. It'd be great. Uh, you can also leave comments uh, on SoundCloud. Would love to hear from you there. You can also check out our website for all the accurate titles and what albums they come from. Uh, so that way you can see the album art so you know exactly what to order or what to look for if you're at the record store, etc. Uh, and that website is www.drjazzpodcast, D-R-J-A-Z-Z podcast dot wordpress dot com. And you can leave us a note there, too. You know, we'd love to hear feedback from you. Um, if you want to stay in the loop to whenever each new episode of the podcast drops, you can follow us on Twitter. We're at ndhjazz. And we'd love to have you follow us there so you can join in and, you know, listen to each new episode as it drops. So uh, thank you for listening. We've got one, two. Yeah, we got two more sets coming at you. Thank you so much for your patience. And for hopefully you're digging some of these tunes and finding out some new things, you know. So without further ado, let's get to some more music.
Strayhorn's Chelsea Bridge. Yeah, man. And played by the inimitable Ben Webster. God, you know, uh, everybody talks about Coleman Hawkins and Lester Young and, you know, like how just those two really rule the roost. But, you know, I I really do. I have a soft spot for Ben Webster. You know, Ben Webster's kind of like he can be just as forthright as Hawk and he can be just as beautiful in his ballads as Prez and I don't know I don't don't think enough people give Ben Webster the props that he needs Um, I love Ben Webster I really do he was one of the first ones I really listened to in my very long jazz journey and uh, yeah man and this is one of the first records right here that I, I, I ever listened to by Ben Webster. And it's uh, off of a two CD set called uh, Music with Fe- or Music for Loving, Music with Feeling, uh, Ben Webster with Strings. 
and it's a two CD set on the Verve label. Uh, this was initially recorded in 1954, but it includes in the two CD set uh, Music for Loving and Music with Feeling. Both were Ben Webster albums with strings. Um, and yeah, there's just a whole batch of great stuff um, in that whole album. I mean, tons of great things. Chelsea Bridge, There's No Greater Love, Teach Me Tonight, We'll Be Together Again, Blue Moon, Early Autumn, uh, What Am I Here For, All Too Soon, Our Love Is Here To Stay, Do Nothing Till You Hear From Me, Prelude To A Kiss, Come Rain Or Come Shine, Some Other Spring, Stars Fell In Alabama, Man, yeah, Under a Blanket of Blue, My Funny Valentine, Your Mind, You, Sophisticated Lady, Almost Like Being in Love. I mean, there's a whole gaggle, and that's just like me just scrolling through the highlights. So, uh, definitively, definitively worth it. Uh, it's perfect romance music. You know what I'm saying? Um, yeah, and it's these beautiful... Uh, orchestral charts by Ralph Burns, Gerald Wilson, and Billy Strayhorn. Uh, super lush. Um, yeah, this is, th I mean, you know, if you've got a few last days of summer where you can just try to relax before the grind happens and, you know, you can have yourself a cocktail hour, this is truly that kind of music, man. Yeah. Or if you're just looking to have a very, you know, special evening with, you know, with um, your significant other. This is a great music uh, soundtrack background, so to speak, for that as well. So, there you have it. Um, before that, man, yeah, one of my favorite albums um, from 1959 and released in 1960. It's called String Along with Basie. And it's Count Basie uh, on the piano by a little small string sectioned and uh, a small band on top of that and it's just a bunch of standards you know uh, summertime blue and sentimental uh, poor butterfly these foolish things sweet Lorraine and it it really features Basie on the piano uh, with this this wonderful string section Herbie Mann and Frank West are on flute Illinois Jacquet and Ben Webster again are on tenor saxophone. Um, Henry Coker, Benny Powell, and Al Gray are on trombone on this album. Jimmy Crawford's on drums. George DeVivier is on the bass. And of course, Freddie Green, you know, is uh, on the guitar. Now, there are some tracks that were arranged by. George Williams, like Summertime that we just heard. And then there are other tracks that are arranged by none other than Q, the great Quincy Jones. So, and it's on the Roulette label. I mean, Roulette and Basie are a winning combination. Trust me. Uh, great stuff with Basie on the Roulette label. So, highly, highly, highly suggest that you, you check that out. And it's just yeah, there's more of that, what you just heard with Summertime. So, and once again, it's a great standard. So, and then we opened up the set with Sunday in America. And this is an interesting 
piece right here to talk about because Sunday in America is part of the 1972 Columbia Records album Skies of America, which featured the London Symphony Orchestra, uh, conducted by David Meacham. And these works were written and um, and arranged by none other than Ornat Coleman. So David Meacham is conducting the London Symphony Orchestra on an entire album of Ornette Coleman orchestrations. Just so you get that clear. Um, yeah. It, it's deep. You know what I mean? And and there's a lot of uh, kind of polytonality going on. Um, but there's a backstory here, too. So, um, so he had encountered, uh, Ornette, that is, Ornette Coleman, had encountered that third stream music, which we touched upon earlier, uh, in the 50s. And that's when Gunther Schuller and, you know, George Russell and, and cats like that were really, and to that fact, John Lewis from the Modern Jazz Quartet, uh, had, were really delving into that classical jazz thing that was known as third stream jazz and uh, Ornette had played sessions for Gunther Schuller in 1960 and he had composed er, you know earlier or earlier orchestral works uh, like inventions of symphonic poems and the Sun Suite of San Francisco but right before this album he had done some arranging for Alice Coltrane for her album Universal Consciousness which is a great album by the way but he had initially envisioned um, Skies of America as this concerto grosso for jazz combo and orchestra but owing to contractual disputes with the musicians union in England his band would not be allowed to record at all and Ornette Coleman limited his own contribution to solos over the orchestra for only select pieces. Now, disenchanted with the music business after less than a less than enthusiastic response to this, Ornette Coleman decided to take a sabbatical to Montana at all places in 1965. There, Ornette Coleman witnessed a group of Native Americans and it inspired him. So, he said, it was so cold, it must have been two or three below zero. And when I saw the American Indians praying, doing their purity ritual, they looked like their bodies were transparent. All of a sudden, I saw the American Indian and the sky as the same people. It taught me something about religion, race, wealth, poverty, and commerce. I said, oh, I'm going to go over there. I'm going to go over to the other side. I only want to be on the side of the consciousness that comes to people naturally. So, after being disenchanted with the whole music business and then seeing this, he began writing the sketches, the little fragments of music that would become 
Skies of America. And it features what he calls harmelodics, which is a, a blend of harmony, melody, and movement. So, the album, Skies of America, contains nearly all of the music that he wrote for this. Uh, there are several repeated motifs and other segments uh, that were removed in order to accommodate the limited album time for what there was on the album. The 21 track titles were added by Ornette Coleman as an afterthought. Columbia executives hope, were hoping that, he, that the work might attract airplay via shorter lengths given to promotions similar for like singles. So recording sessions took place in London from April 17th to April 20th, 1972 at Abbey Road Studios. So uh, some critics have said this is dangerous but rewarding music. Uh, others say that it's a grand mess. So I'll leave it up to you for whatever you wish, you know, <laughs> that you think. Uh, the point is, is it's a string orchestral work by Ornette Coleman. And that's what's really cool about it. Um, like I said, I, I chose Sunday in America because I think it's one of the more melodic out of all of them. But all of them do have a similar flavor. All the movements, all 21 tracks. So if that piqued your interest, um, that first track that we heard in the set there, then absolutely, you should go check out Skies of America by Ornette Coleman. I think everyone um, who's even a casual jazz listener should challenge themselves to some listening from time to time. And... Uh, like many of Ornette's works, it is a challenging listen, but it's worth it uh, because you shouldn't comment on something until you've actually heard it. So don't say that you hate Ornette Coleman if you haven't heard Skies of America or Free Jazz or any of these other challenging things. If you choose not to like Ornette after hearing that, well, that's perfectly fine. You know, it's a free country. Um, but also keep this in mind that 72... In America was also the time of Nixon. So, there's something to be said with that too. You know, just saying. Um, yeah, so, anyway, I'm not going to get on a political soapbox, I promise. But we do have uh, one more great set, and it's three of my absolute favorite uh, tracks with strings. So, don't go anywhere. Thank you for listening. We got one more set. You are listening to the Jazz with Strings Spotlight on the Dr. Jazz Podcast.
I'm a fool to want you I'm a fool to want you To want a love that can't be true A love that's there for others too I'm a fool to hold you Such a fool to hold you To seek a kiss Not mine alone To share a kiss The devil has known Time and time again I said I'd leave you Time and time again I went away But then Would come the time when I would need you, and once again, these words I'd have to say I'm a fool to warn you. Pity me, I need you I know it's wrong It must be wrong But right or wrong I can't get along Without you
stuff so we started off that set with a tune called blue interlude which is actually by frederick chopin but um we got to hear it in the hands of bill evans with his trio consisting of chuck israel on the bass and larry bunker on the drums um and uh a gorgeous, you know, um, strings, woodwind, and brass orchestra, uh, symphony orchestra conducted and arranged by Klaus Ogerman, which we heard before with Wes Montgomery on the Tequila album. But uh, a completely different vibe, and it's just gorgeous, you know. Um, and you know. Y- the thing is, is that it, this is another string album that just gets horrible marks, you know, uh, on all music. This collaboration is predictably dull. One of Bill Evans' least significant recordings. A weak third stream effort. <laughs> so, you know, a lot of people don't like strings. But, you know, Roger Crane for All About Jazz said, although dismissed by critics, this CD with arrangements is very lovely, you know, uh, with the arrangements by Klaus Ogerman. And in fact, Bill Evans was very proud of this album. And um, they are, Ogerman's charts are sweetly romantic rather than overbearing. So, there you go. Man. And uh, there's lots of great other uh, tracks on this by... Uh, Faure, Scriabin, Bach, and Granatus. So, there you go. I mean, it, it's a cool album. You should definitely check it out. It's from 1966, 
Yeah, and it's on the Verve label. It's Bill Evans' trio with Symphony Orchestra. And like I said, we heard Blue Interlude. After that, um, the one vocalist in the bunch, uh, but it's the exception to the rule. It's Lady Day. And with Billie Holiday, she always sounded more like an instrument than a vocalist, you know. And um, we heard I'm a Fool to Want You. And this is from her last album that was released in her lifetime in 1958. It's on the Columbia label. It's entitled Lady in Satin. And um, Ray Ellis and his orchestra backed her up. So, And for the majority of the 50s, you know, Lady Day was signed to Norman Grant's Clef Records, uh, which was absorbed by Verve Records. So most of her work, you know, on, during that period was small group, small combo sort of thing, you know. And um, before that, she was in a big band with Teddy Wilson and made a bunch of recordings with him, you know. Uh, but by October of 57, she was in Columbia Records and Irving Townsend expressed interest in recording with her with Ray Ellis uh, after listening to his album Ellis in Wonderland. Uh, and originally, she wanted to do an album with Nelson Riddle, who did all of Frank Sinatra's albums. Uh, but after hearing Ellis's version of For All We Know, she wanted to record with him. And when Billy Holiday came to Irving Townsend about the album, he was surprised. And he said it would be like Ella Fitzgerald saying that she wants to record with Ray Conniff. But if she wanted a pretty album, something delicate, you know, that's what Lady Day said that she wanted. She said this over and over. She thought it would be beautiful. She wasn't interested in some wild swinging jam session. She wanted that cushion of strings underneath her voice. And she wanted to be flattered by that kind of sound. And the truth is, you know, that's exactly what we got, is this heartbreaking, aching sound, and it's just timeless, and it's gorgeous. And then we ended with the, the, the daddy of them all, Charlie Parker with Strings. It was recorded in 1949, and it featured Charlie Parker alongside Mitch Miller, on the oboe, uh, a bunch of strings, Ray Brown on the bass, Buddy Rich on the drums, and the great Jimmy Carroll arranging and conducting this session. Now, I have the CD version, which came out in 95, 1995, from Verve, called Charlie Parker with Strings, The Master Takes, because it combined a lot of these uh, eight song, six song, sort of albums and combine them all together so um, definitely were and, and it also combined a live take on that as well so um, yeah this was you know a, a Norman Grant's uh, brainchild and uh, Charlie Parker had had always wanted to record with a string setting and it finally fulfilled that void and um, and November 30th, 1949, boom, there we are. There's the very first Charlie Parker with Strings album. Uh, they're pretty much all standards, but uh, the success of this album led to many more sessions uh, 
after that, resulting in many other albums like Charlie Parker with strings, um, you know, part two, so to speak, you know. And um, finally, in 1995, Verve Records put them all together on a single CD, um, which included that. And as I said, also the tracks from Carnegie Hall from that concert in 1950. Um, <laughs> there's some controversy about Charlie Parker recording standards rather than his own original compositions. Um, and many thought that this was Charlie Parker selling out for what they call greater commercial exposure. Um, certainly the record label didn't object to this because they thought, hey, you want to do something that's going to sell a bunch of copies? Great. You know, because people who would buy string albums like this were not people that would buy his bebop quintet or quartet kind of albums, you know. But this is the granddaddy of them all because... Um, Parker himself, Charlie Parker, is the one that instigated the whole brainchild for these sessions. And because they happened, and because they were so successful globally, not just here in America, but globally, um, that really set the bar for you know it being a, 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 a very hip thing to do if you were a jazz musician to record an album with strings, such as Clifford Brown with strings in 1955, five years later, right? And Stan Getz, you know, with Focus, and all of these albums that we've heard throughout this podcast. So, uh, thank you again for listening. Hopefully you've dug it and you've heard some familiar songs and some new things and some things that piqued your interest. So, uh, but we wouldn't be anything without you so again thank you for your patience and thank you for listening and taking out just a little bit of your time and uh, sharing it with us here at the dr jazz podcast so as we end every episode we do love you madly and until next time ashes to ashes dust to dust y'all be good now because in jazz we trust